I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Tim Fro is reading for the wild ride. And thank you for listening. So here we go around the corner and I'm feeling kind of ambivalent about this being my last episode. I look through my uh, look through my downloads and how some of my most of my shows are in the 2K range, and I'm grateful to everyone that has followed me throughout um, this time. I don't have a whole bunch to more to say. I am. I've been very blessed and very lucky um, to be able to be um, to be who I am, and I'm being allowed to basically produce this podcast. Everything from marketing and has been all out has been um, out of my pocket. Um, everything I've talked what about do tacos get their own for the most part has been all paid for by me. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, animosity against most people, but <laughs> um, I think a lot of people that work with indie podcasters or with creators in general, um, they're true lack of respect comes out. I was played at the beginning of the year about someone that had no intention of being a producer. Um, I sometimes feel that I'm being played by other contractors um, that don't respect my process and don't respect the fact that I'm paying for this out of my pocket. I, as of the, this recording, still don't have a sponsorship. Unless something changed and then I make an addendum to this, but I don't. So when you put your own drama on me, I'm like, girl, I don't know about that. And it's not my problem because you're contractor. Um, I say all of this to say I'm always grateful by people that take the time to drop reviews. This one by Wayne Johnson sticks out to me because it says the podcast is a true gem the storytelling is both relatable and profound, making each episode a memorable experience. I send this shout out to Wayne because 
Um, I have 300 and some odd other podcast uh, episodes that I hope that you will enjoy. And people like them. Tell more people. Uh, you can send your comments to timfroisreading at gmail.com to let me know, to give me ideas about what I could do in my next iteration. Unlike Unreality TV, I'll actually listen and I'll read it online just like I read that one. <laughs> if as long as it's not too trolly and it's constructive. I don't need unconstructive criticism, if I, especially if I ask you for it. Unsolicited criticism with no uh, solutions, you're not going to be helpful to me. And I pick up on vibes from people. And if I get a bad taste in my mouth from the first meet, you're really not going to change that because one, I'm vindictive and petty. However, what I am going to say is you can reach out to me at your convenience um, and, but if you keep getting on my nerves, I will cut you off and block you. Cause again, I said, I'm petty. However, um, I've enjoyed the ride of being allowed to create and I can, as an indie podcaster with no sponsorships, I can choose when I'm going to end my season and when I'm going to come back, if I'm going to come back, or I could take the time that I was actually spending in researching and creating the podcast and I could just do something else. I want to write my screenplays. I want to finish up my second iteration of my book. I got shit to do. And podcasts, maybe just not one of them. I don't know. But I thank you guys that have downloaded and left comments and five-star reviews. Always eternally grateful for that. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading tin for I can't go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow. A reading tin for One of my favorite pastimes is reading the New York, Sunday New York Times. And today's Sunday, it's bright, it's beautiful, not too hot. I am basically have gotten up the courage to sit outside because there's no bugs flying around until a couple of flies ran me inside. But that's one of my things. I love sitting on my porch, back porch. Used to like sitting on the front porch until I ran a colony of yellow jackets out of my own candle. I had that candle since I lived in North Carolina. When I bought it, I believe it was from either uh, Pier 1 Imports or even Marshalls. I have no idea, but that's beside the point. The point is, <laughs> I own my own home. And I've moved multiple times, but I've always had a home to go back to. Um, bought my first house in 2000, and I lived there a, probably a handful of weeks before it was rented out. I used it as an Airbnb 
finally sold it in 2000 with the second house that I purchased in Lumberton, um, a ranch house. And then, so that one within 45 days of selling the other home. And back in 2021, I purchased this house. And I've recently refinanced the house and took out um, some of the equity because I'm getting ready to do um, some improvements by extending the deck and making some changes out back. And I'm excited about it. I never thought this kid from Aragona Village would have this opportunity. And I never anticipated that my home would have this level of wealth already attached to it. Um, I think on a level, certain level, my grandparents understood that when they had their homes. My father understood that. But there's still, but I don't think they realize the depths of home equity and the power it is uh, on this type of level. Um, when my father passed away, we had to not only clean out his home, he was low-key a hoarder, but at the same time, his inheritance to us, his kids, was through his home. And we almost re could have realized it too late, um, or and we could have blocked our own blessings, but that's a story for a different podcast episode with this talking about land and to control and then from loss and how you can control your inheritance and uh, talk about generational wealth has become a recurrent theme, especially what I'm reading. Um, I've gotten a present as a birthday present. We are each other's harvest celebrating African-American farmers land and legacy by Natal Natalie Basile, author of Queen Sugar. Um, I've been, this has been a topic of my discussion on my podcast for the last couple of weeks, but I've also, uh, participated in the Washington Post have these live sessions and I was able to watch, um, it was the current producer of the show, um, the Silver Dollar Road, that's actually getting a documentary that's actually getting ready to drop on Prime this upcoming week. It's the story of the real family. Um, and it tells this one family's loss, but it opens up loss of their land through some trickery. Basically, Mr. Real bought this land back in 1911, one generation from slavery. His family probably had been enslaved on either a part or near this land uh, prior to Reconstruction. He bought it, but when he died, um, he didn't leave a will because did not trust the same Southern courts that created Jim Crow and had been used against us for generations. He didn't trust it. 
um, he thought if he left it, it'd become, it'd become airland and it would protect his family. He had, because of Jim Crow, not only did he, they saw he had 65 acres of swamp land, but it also housed a beach where we could, because we couldn't go to any beaches without being run off and by being harassed uh, for being black. He made a living. They shrimp, they crabbed, he raised hogs, he raised vegetables, and the land became profitable where they did not have to depend on anybody because the land provided. And it was like that throughout his life up until he died. Well, then came the rip-roaring 70s and all of these slick-mouthed developers and other farmers, uh, corporate farmers, came and basically uh, duped them out of land, either through non-payment of taxes, parts of land were seized and auctioned off, the developer bought out rights to the land illegally through trickery. From 1910, it is estimated from 1910 to 1997, African Americans lost about 90% of their farmland through these types of trickery means. And the real family was no different. Cousins were actually jailed for eight, up to eight years because they refused to move off of the land because they thought they had rights to the land. But a developer came along and said, no, they get evicted, they refuse to move, and then they get thrown in jail. But that's not, that's not only their story. It has become apparent that many other families have, right along the North Carolina, probably South Carolina coast, and I'm sure the Virginia coast, is tales of something very similar. In the back of my mind, I remember something similar to this being said to my cousin's family um, in Virginia Beach, and I'll mention it, but they basically were given pennies on the dollar for beachfront property in Virginia Beach. Um, and now we know uh, uh, the beachfront property in Virginia Beach is hundreds of thousands of dollars per square foot. So I can imagine how their family was duped, could have been duped out of it, because they were like, they looked at it as, we can't farm on that. It's worthless to us, but if the developers could have been more forthright in their dreams, they could have dreamed of not only having a property, but now having multi-million dollar, hundreds of million dollar uh, uh, development and being able to share in that and also uh, being able to distribute it for generational wealth throughout this one family. You could basically say this one family actually own most of the Virginia Beach coastline was actually probably held by maybe one or two families, but they sold their birthright away for penny on the dollar because of short-sighted. And then you could say it's short-sighted because they weren't allowed, they couldn't dream, so they couldn't see uh, beyond that. And they lost it through trickery, but can you really blame them? Yes, I can. <laughs> You can, and you could say they were basically shorted out of millions and millions of dollars of money, but, but
But that's capitalism at its worst, and it's racism at its worst. But it's a learning lesson at its best. Now, we got people that want, that are demanding reparations, that want to have, that are trying to get back the connection of the land and its connection to generational wealth has not been now lost on us. So now we have a great affluent group of African-Americans and people of color that want in on it. But they're still between the U.S., the racist property, the racist uh, tenants, redlining of the USDA, the FHA, we're losing out on many, many things. But if you do the research, there are so many programs that our tax dollars pay for that we can be assisted in finally sharing in on some of these programs. Am I saying that everybody needs a farm? Nope. All I'm actually saying is if you actually have, like for example, the VA, and this is from talking about ex from experience. Year before last, I think it was 2022, the VA, was it 2020? No, it was actually 2021, because that's when I bought this house. I finally used my VA loan. Even with um, the 3% the foundation fee, you actually get that money back. If you've ever served through the military and you have access to the VA, they've actually, there was at one point, there used to be, I think it was either $550 or $600,000 cap on possibility of being able to acquire the VA loan. How I was bamboozled into getting a conventional FHA loan with its ridiculous uh, uh, interest rate initially, was they said, well, you won't ever get that um, VA. That's how VA actually uh, makes a little bit of money off of like, it's like a percentage of the loan value. And they said, oh, you'll never get that back. When actuality, because housing prices now are so ridiculous, you'll make that money back in spades. For example, what I'm actually getting ready to spend on home improvements is actually already going to increase the value of my home and it increased exponentially prior to me even doing any home improvements. I bought a hundred year old house in 2021 and in two years, the increase in equity on my house is ridiculous. And I'm glad that they released the cap because even when I went and did a home equity and cash out, I am using part of that money and it's going to stay with the house. And even if I were to sell, I, it's, I have built in equity in this home. I don't even have to have a farm or land to be able to be able to participate in the American dream and have some built-in wealth that I could leave to anybody if I had a kid, but my dog is going to get some of it because of built-in equity on even on my corner lot. Home ownership and land ownership is a part of the American dream and only a small part 
of how you can build generational wealth. Our ancestors knew about it, and it made every racist come after us because of land loss, because they know that is the way through for financial freedom and you don't have to, you know, you're not a slave when you actually can provide for yourself like the real family. Mr. Real knew about that. And that's what people want you to be dependent on them. So that means they can treat you any kind of way, but they, well, you can't really be treated any kind of way when you can provide for your own self and you have your own bag. Being able to control, having control over your financial and making sound financial decisions is a means to be able to build wealth for you, not only for yourself, but anybody that actually would come um, from you. And that is the issue. And that is the premise of we are each other's harvest. True. You can glean and, 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 and produce bounty either through farms, through home ownership, it's a part of that. Continue to work hard, making financial decisions, keeping your debt low. Those are all the ways that you can actually build on wealth. It's about time. And the secret has been, it's the worst kept secret in the world. It's very simple. But a lot of people are, would get, wait till they get to my age, 52 years, before they realize that. And you think, huh, I wish I had known that. And I wish I, knowing what I know now, I don't think I could have understood it went back then, but now working as hard as I have been and making the money that I am currently making and knowing how to hold on to it and have it build upon each other, that's what it, it's all about, how you build generational wealth. You don't spend the principal, you just keep adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And you could just live off the interest. That's another means, that's old school, uh, uh, how old white people from England used to do it. They would actually, you won't, you don't continue, don't chip away at the principal. Add to it, leave something for the next generation. But you can't build that type of long money by chipping away at the principal. And that's the whole point. You can't, there's not like you can grow more land. You can buy more land, add on to the acres, but you can't, build that wealth by selling the land away. And the developers know about it, and that's why they come after you and they cheat. Um, taxes, you know about it, because you can actually lose it and buy auctioning off if you don't pay them. It's like a gang, you get jumped in, jumped out, but that is the way, procuring the land, making improvements upon it, and building upon it. That's how you build wealth. And that is my contribution to positivity. Don't mess with people's bag. Continue to create something great and just keep adding to it. Adding to the vault of creation and keep building upon it. Don't chip away at it. And don't give away for free. Knowing what you're worth and getting to what you're worth is also the goal of creation too. And creators should hold on to that. And working out how you can basically maximize the return on what you create. And don't do it for free. To my homegirl, Aquita J.L. Moore, Najee.
Lift every chair and swing till all them white folks scream. Thought y'all could run up on our black king. I'm glad the squad pulled up, dedicated to knock if you buck. May it resound loud as the rolling sea. Throw your hats high in the air until up comes with the chair. Swim the seas until our cousins come and they rescue me. Let this be a lesson to y'all. Remember the Montgomery brawl where white folks fucked around and they found out. In this episode of Woke History, I talk about it's not just the entire USDA was racist. But the implementation of the policies were racist. And how the rediscovery of black farmers and the preservation of black farmers is what is going to tie us back to our histories and just an explanation of our genetic bonds to the land. Because, y'all, it really is in our DNA. How we come from a they to a we. How you are only truly free when you don't fear death. And that's what actually happens. When we try to gain the connection back to great-great-grandparents, the last generation of people of color, and in particular African-Americans, that were untouched by slavery but there was they it would take several generations to mine to realize that where there's no shame in our game and in those that were slaves there was a time when people would not talk about relatives in the uh connection to slavery, the brutality that they survived. I I think it was probably um, survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt um, that they survived, but they didn't want to be associated with that somehow that we were responsible for the brutality of it. We were basically stolen from our lands the few seeds survived that was in the hair before it was shorn off like a sheep. But deep in our bones, in our DNA, in our marrow, we took with us the knowledge and the connection with the land. When we weren't worked to death, when we weren't survived, we waited for the freedom, which was only a semi-freedom. Most of they said six million of us fled from the South 
and then went to a different kind of uh, prejudice in the North. And we would stay for a generation becoming very much separated from the land until we realized that some of the depravity that we tried to run from, from Jim Crow, followed us up there. I did not know until recently that those that had greater knowledge, working knowledge of the land and that survived, our health was probably better than other poor whites of the same statue. We were healthier. We had uh, our food, we supplemented our food that we grew ourselves and the things that we were able to hunt from the land and we did it well for generations, for years. And it was, it wasn't until we were basically stripped from land ownership by racist policies that we and became dependent on processed foods where you could have the same, the exact same uh, grocery line, but the access to fresh foods would be light years difference. Not, for example, this is even today, not every food line is created equal. The A&P was another brand. Uh, what is that? Piggly, Wiggly is another brand. IGA, other brands, use hood brands. But, and y'all remember Borden's uh, from Chicago, in Chicago on Good Times? That is a reality even until today. We had to lose almost 98% of black farmers in this country until the lending practice of the, U the USDA was put on blast and they actually had to close that office. And that wasn't until 1983. Great policies, if they had been applied equally, would have been great and we could have survived. But that it took a class action suit just this century, the 21st century, to call them out for the application of laws where the application were done in racist tendencies and, bi and biased tendencies. Because people know that when you're landed and you have property ownership, you have generational wealth and you have a connection to your background. Usually at one point in this country, until Ancestry.com and the like, we, uh, many African-Americans only could trace their heritage back to a plantation. Basically, slavery cut off our connection to the motherland. But with genetics, we, and uh, genetic uh, mapping, etc., we actually can go all admixtures. We can actually trace almost to tribes in East and West Africa. Some of us, because of mixing um, with, and we say, oh, everybody got Indian in their blood. Some of us do. Uh, and we got Asian. We 
come from uh, Asian descent. We got near ancestors that are actually from Asia, came across the Bering Straits, Gert. But what I find that is the resilience, even though we are, they keep trying to erase our contributions to the building of this country, our contributions to our, our, our agrarian history. They try to cut us off. They try to take our land. There's so many survivors and we still have that connectivity. There are many of us that through our pots, through our farm stands, on our porches, we are decreasing our carbon imprint and we're refusing to pay exorbitant costs for lettuce that we can easily grow, that probably one of our ancestors figured out how to grow these things. I'm doing battle with uh, prehistoric bugs and I don't have to use chem chemicals to do it. We actually were organic, thank you Nene Leakes, before it was cool because we had to sustain. We couldn't poison ourselves, couldn't afford the chemicals to get those um, the same yields as the big commercial farmers, but we still survived. And now we're calling it cool and putting a premium on things that our ancestors have done for years out of, uh, out of just necessity. I'm with it. And plus I'm cheap, but I do have, thank God, the disposable income to buy the farm stands. And in fact, I'm getting ready to buy another one to put on my other balcony so I can have just for access so I can grow the big stuff on the big tall one and just the regular greens on this one. I'm not, if I'm without, without the grand exception, I am not going to give whole paycheck, any of my paycheck if I don't have to. And this is my contribution to sustainability. And you build community, but you gotta wanna talk to people in your community. And, and I still don't really like my neighbors. That is the funny part of that. Also trying to other figure out other ways that I could also be sustainable. I've had discussions with not just other creatives, but also people that assist creative in our creative endeavors. And it seems like everybody's trying to figure out how they are going to continue to extract blood from a turnip. My thing is, why not ask, what do I have to do to support and get other people to support the creative, not trying to secure my own, my own singular bag? What do I have to do to basically pour into the creator that's creating and this knowledge? Not how I'm going to get this person to pay for the next marketing push, um, next type of creation, either through graphic or through sound. What do I have to do to get other people to support this so this person can continue to sustain this person so they can continue to do what this, so they can continue to have the time to research and educate other people. Not for free and not just for uh, the goodwill, how can we also sustain this person to go on? Have, have most people asked themselves that? How 
if people took the time like my friend and I did, my friend and I, and this is what, how I got just the, this, the, the uh, encouragement or the how to create this particular segment this week. It's from, it's based on what I've been reading from We Are Each Other's Harvest by Natalie Brazil. She actually is the writing of, uh, the writer of Queen Sugar. Um, her fascination um, since she was a girl and her knowing her family's history and participation in the, the African-American diaspora uh, and the ties to the land. My friend bought this for me because she knows about, one, my podcast, but also my farm stand. She follows me on in Instagram. Um, she also goes out of her way to look up um, and support other Black-owned black, uh, black businesses. Um, and she will pour her money into those endeavors as much as she can. And she does other things, too. And that's what I like to do. I take time to figure out who is the black most effectual black roaster and can they send me their stuff i look up the red black new black restaurants in my community i won't go to them but i'll actually order from them and what of other people if you're going to back a black creative what can you do to assist in their sustaining instead of carving out your mark, making sure you get paid on time, making sure I don't buy some of your wares. What are you doing to not only promote my show and get other people to support me and not just support your endeavors? When you can answer that question and answer it in a positive way, and what is your KPI when I start adding patrons and I don't have to end my season early, then we can talk. But until then, I have nothing for you. So that's just me in a sidebar on another reason why indie podcasters, we go a little bit of what we go through and what, how, so, Ethel, come out of there. Come on, beep, beep. How some people really don't support what we do and what the creative process. It's also about respect. If you really truly believe in what I'm doing, thank you. The proof is in the pudding. My KPI is adding patrons. I don't have any, I don't have any sponsorships. So until your um, support of my show goes beyond just promoting it on your own channel and on your own Instagram stream to promote your services, but nothing is changed in mind. We have nothing to talk about. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is y'all. And again, Thank you for support. Thank you for listening. But if you really want to see it go on, you have to become a melanated nerd. You have to basically go to my Patreon page and um, leave me a tip. But until that happens, keep the words because alert, I can't survive on words. I need some dollar signs. I need a check. I need some Skrilla. And that's just the way it is.
The Shady Bunch, the Shady Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. You're out of here. <laughs> That's what they told Kim McCarthy last week. This shit was funny as hell. I didn't think they would go this far what I am talking about or whom I'm referring to is the grand old fascist party, the neo-Nazis, I call them, the crazies headed by that Marjorie fool um, and that other fool, grabby hands from Florida. I have never seen a group of white folks this dysfunctional, this disruptive, thinking that they are doing the right thing by just spinning chaos in my life. The latest is they were pushing for a government shutdown at the expense of millions of Americans, people that depend on uh, government aid uh, between some of the federally backed state-run programs, um, as well as uh, people on disability, those things need to be uh, uphold by federal. They were willing to and let the military go unpaid, let the U.S. Postal Service fall further into chaos. Anybody looked into why DeJoy still got his job? And to basically say, look, we're going to let it shut down because it's all broken, and we, but we don't have a remedy for it, so let it just all implode to heck. And then because he wasn't with the shenanigans, they said, well, fine, Getz, Mark Getz, fool from Florida. So that's what's Florida, Florida lazy. But anyways, I don't want to put that on all people from Florida. It's just your representatives are dumb. But anyways, so in the 11th hour, they averted when they could have done that. And they probably could have negotiated an even longer one until after the beginning of 2024, because who wants to go into major holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's with that hanging over their heads? So with all of those things said, why are y'all, or why were they let to go crazy? because they've been wilding forever and they got a little bit of a thin minority in of crazy in the U.S. house. And it basically, what they're doing is a perversion of what they're supposed to be doing. They're not representing the great amount of people because the great amount of people got some sense and they wouldn't, and why would you, and it's all a power grab. And so what they did was is they they basically orchestrated Kevin Kev getting booted out for no other reason without letting them do what they need to do. And this was an end for all the Democrats to back that up, because I don't think they wanted him in there anyways. 
So they were like, bye, bitch. But they don't have the votes to get somebody else in there willing to do what they want them to do. Because nobody ain't that crazy. So now they have descended into chaos. No work is getting done, but they still getting a check. I never understand anybody that if you're not going to do the job that you have been elected to do, you should not, or you've been hired to do, and I'm talking about personal experience in corporate world, you've got to go. Ethel agrees. And that's what he got. He basically, if this was a power move for him, getting a Speaker of the House, but he had other people that were willing again, to stir up chaos and to get him kicked out. So now, made history. It took them, what, 85 times to elect his ass, and now it's taking them 80, now it just took them one vote to boot his butt out. But who else is willing and crazy enough to take that mantle and to take on them fools? I wish there was either by re-election or by uh, vote. All of them, the crazies, would be censored and booted out of Congress. And it would be left up to the governors to reappoint someone completely capable. But my thing is, if they're that crazy, there's somebody even crazier in the wings that could be appointed to that seat. It's a top-down approach, and it's very, very scary in the in the US Congress at this time. The house is in chaos and it's going to it's a house of cards and I don't know by the end of the year we're going to see a whole bunch of unprecedented moves. I'm glad I only get the highlights cuz I couldn't stand watching all this crap play out on the news every day. So and so more on pop culture and also herding cats. I wanted to make sure that the people understood. Speakers of the houses are like people herding cats. I actually sat in on the, what's his name? John Bonner. Second to Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. He was probably one of the better known Speaker of the House. I'm not saying he was greater than Nancy Pelosi, but I'm sure he understood that and could quantify that statement. Um, not Bonner, I think it's Boehner. I know he and his smoky, uh, old school voice would correct me on that, but anybody that takes that um, lead and understand the dynamics of the MAGA crazies now, would understand it is like herding cats and you can't hurt cats. You can only give them side eye and threaten and give them um, catnip. I think they all need to be sedated. <laughs> but anyways, more on pop culture, Ryan Murphy versus Angelica Ross. I had to look up who Angelica Ross was, even though I watched every episode of um, Pose. I'd forgotten that she played the character or sex worker Candy who actually was murdered um, in a hotel room, basically highlighting the violence against trans women. Um, 
also, who is she to Ryan Murphy? Ryan Murphy was one of the creators of Pose. He actually has created a whole bunch of things. NeNe Leaks, New Normal, um, American Horror Story, which I refuse to watch. She not only has been fan favorite as the character on Pose, she actually has been um, a, uh, evidently a fan favorite in multiple Ryan Murphy's productions. Why is she in the? Why are they in the news or opposite ends? Evidently, he dissed her. She has worked a couple of seasons on all, all those before mentioned shows. They were supposed to be collaborating on future endeavors. He left her on red. She actually had to wait. She couldn't work with him, even though he had been promising, 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 evidently, about uh, working on something after her contract was up with FX. Uh, because these the contracts in Hollywood, um, especially, especially for SAG or uh, uh, unionized workers, is can be a bit exploitive. They basically hold you into, they say these weird exclusivity clauses. And it can, it can basically keep you out of work, genuine work and opportunities. And you're at the mercy of a lot of these well-heeled producers and production companies. Well, fast forward, after we after we've emerged from the pandemic pro v after we've now just emerged from this long strike this is now we get what they're talking about and we got these people like Ryan Murphy dissing people i think i was a little triggered because back in i believe it was 2021 my first foray into screen writing i became a finalist in the barnstormer um, competition. And as one of the prizes, not only did I get like, it was like an honorable mention and I got uh, contact with a producer. Well, it was just like the producer that they hooked me up with refused to speak with me on the phone. Um, basically, it it felt like I contacted me on like a chat, some chat, and then went through a checklist, made contact with me, basically said my script wasn't shit. He wasn't really all that interested in it. What else was I working on? At the time, I started working on a serial killer uh, from Memphis, and he said he was more interested in that, but would not be moving forward with me because he was getting ready um, to go on paternity leave because he had a new kid. And then that was it. And then I was dissed. Never heard anything from him. Been two years. And, but he basically followed some checklist because he was, it was like he was made to participate in this because of my winning this competition. And it's not like they care. They they basically don't have to care. It's not like this was my life's work. It would have been cool to see how far it would have gone. Um, I wish I could have used it and parlayed it to representation, but I didn't. Um, I'm going to work on it again, maybe rework 
the screenplay, but I kind of, but it kind of, nobody has to move forward with you. Nobody has to contact you back. Even if you are a big star like Angelica Ross, people can be dicks like Ryan Murphy and well-known dicks. You know, they say their um, creations are like turn the actors into advocates. Well, I go back on my first, when I really meant this, uh, a, a, a not an advocate, but a um, ally is only someone you haven't hadn't caught saying something stupid or doing something stupid. And this is one of those allies that just basically been caught that they're just much of an asshole as just the rest of white Hollywood. So I don't know. Not disappointing because I'm a cynic. I, I don't expect it. And I'm a nobody. I don't expect anybody to get back to me or to advocate my work uh, if they don't want to or they find somebody else that they want to represent, even though their creative output is trash, just because they look and what they expect to be. So although Angelica Ross, it sucks what happened to you, but they're like little people like me that knows that even with your big name and what you've done previously doesn't exempt you from being treated like crap by people that really don't look like you, but they're willing to exploit you when it's convenient for them. Ask NeNe Leakes, blackball. Ryan Murphy's not taking her calls, I'm sure. And she's just starting to get work again. Only being, av and it's only by the skin of her teeth and people remembering what she's done. And also the guard is changing. People have short memories. And it's like, okay, as long as she don't do anything else crazy, we we can actually now work with her because the people that were in power before, maybe are they losing power or they really just don't care anymore. So I feel bad for her. But Ryan Murphy, <clears throat> as the cynic, you're no better than anybody else. So doing crazy S. And I've also thought it was a little bit disheartening that even in that statement that Erica Mena had, she never, it's not, because it was written by somebody else, she, it never, she doesn't feel that she's culpable and I have no reason to believe that she's still doing the work. I, and because she doubled down, and you know she was talking off script, because she basically said, you know, why are y'all protecting them they, when they've treated us like zoo animals? all these years, why are you talking about anything about zoo animals, even in the aftermath, even after you made that statement? That means you still are not, had not done the work or, and you are just that stupid. Ignorance is a bitch and you need to become not ignorant because that is, because she keeps doubling down and keeps saying stupid shit. I just want her to be quiet. Can we just say, say that together? Minna, stop talking. Don't say anything that you're not reading from your publicist statement and just stop it. Um, I come, I, I talk about this because Nene said this to Tanya. She was throwing shade at Tanya. Uh, she says she can't tolerate ignorance and she mentioned about Tanya and her labels. And I think she basically said it because Nene you're cool. It seems like at that time, this was like, what, season 11 or 12? 
You're cool with Nene as long as you don't call her on her ish because she'll come and she'll attack. She says, she only says she attacks people when she attacks. She's very paranoid. She wants to know when people are talking crap about her. That's why she tried to get Yovana, who nobody still doesn't know, to record people, to get receipts because she knew people were talking about her. But nobody has that time to basically let Nene live rent-free in their head. They got their own things to talk about. Proof of some type of conspiracy to get her off of a platform that all in all she did create. But some of her actions, and I'm moving on to the Nene of it all, because a lot of her actions basically blew up her chance to continue to progress with the platform. The season 12 reunion where they did it remotely and she basically walked off the set. And she said it, other people have walked off the set, but yeah, but they didn't. I don't, I didn't see anybody walk off the set or still more off the set after they had attacked producers. And then they went on a defensive and became a crap show on um, social media. Um, and they didn't make amends because she didn't want to be attacked. So I'm thinking she basically cut off all communication because nobody's going to talk with you. If you're talking, you can't say, protect me, protect me, protect me as I attack you. So who's going to protect from who? And they basically, she kept saying, protect me, but I'm going to keep trashing y'all. And those people at the production company were like, watch this, watch this, like Usher did, said. And they said, watch this, so we ain't going to talk to you. We don't know how to protect you. We don't want to get screamed down, blue shouted, and you storming off. And then you go on some social media tirade on your YouTube channel or wherever. That is not how the game is played. You can't holler and scream, protect me, protect me, protect me, as you're lashing out. It doesn't work that way. She's another one that I'm wondering if she's done the work um, or she's going to take her climb and clawing up back onto a platform that she undoubtedly helped create but she can't keep going on the attack and think people are going to protect her because they're going to be busy protecting their throat because she goes to the gut the throat the head all the time when she perceives herself as being attacked a lot of that is paranoia and rightfully so and that's why I didn't understand why she was on, um, what's that name, Bethany Frankel. Did she hijack it? Probably so. Because I can almost guarantee Nene being on Bethany Frankel's Whacked Ass Podcast did more for Bethany Frankel than it could do for Nene doing it on her own. Granted, I agree with Carlos King, one of the greatest reality TV producers that ever was. It's number one um, housewife is Nene Leakes, and she knows that. Then there's Teresa, and then maybe Bethany, but I think there's a, I'm thinking number third is a toss-up between Portia Williams and 
um, Candy Birds, because I'm a Candy Birds stan. Bethany, she got a lot of access because she is white and she also, Skinny Girl, is making her a mint and all them whacked ass books. But she actually has the plat, she has the money to prove it. But that doesn't mean, she, I don't necessarily mean that is she one of the top uh, housewives. I think she is a thorn in people's side. And I think a lot of people underestimate her underfed ass. But I don't think she's up there with all the, in the NeNe leaks, Teresa Gudice and uh, Portia Williams of it all. I just don't. I also don't think that, but is it going to, but it, would it take someone with an inflated sense of self and the resources legally and monetarily to get the rest of them and to take notice? Probably so. But I think Nene is going to also have to show and prove that she is doing the work that is going to keep her, if she can articulate, how do you protect someone that actually created the platform without having to tolerate abuse. If she could show that, that would actually get her more play, her own podcast, her own talk show. I don't understand. She had this alliance with Wendy Williams and that imploded because I think she really blue shouted her way and the, the issue she had. That's why she did not walk onto that platform because she has not done the work and she had pissed off so many people by being so belligerent on her own platform that that's why, because I would have watched that because for a minute there before lupus and alcohol took over Wendy Williams, her and Nene looked an awful lot alike. I don't know if they had the same stylist and the same makeup artist, or they knew some of the same people that had been trained in the same manner. But why didn't Nene take over Wendy Williams' show? Did anybody ever ask that? Was it ever even offered? Was it even a possibility? Or did basically Wendy Williams said, I would rather it, my and that whole franchise be imploded before I would have her and her paranoid ass on my show. I can see that, tit for tat. And this is what, because Nene is so funny to talk to, you know, like I've seen people interact with her, her spilling the tea with Nene, that would have been a cool show. And it could have gone on in perpetuity. And we wouldn't have had see reports of her losing her swag boutiques because of non-payment of rent and all these other things, and her complaining about what didn't come to her and not being protected and X, Y, Z and racism, when she basically, actually, she talked about Kenya antagonizing people and then claiming victim, when Nene basically did the exact same thing, and I'm sure in a lot of ways. So with that said, a win is a win, both are narcissists in their own rights, Bethany and Nene. And I'm going to wait and sit back and see 
what the T is going to be in next steps. And if Carlos King would actually come back to the franchise, whip it in shape because the current production staff on Real Housewives, all of them need to be fired and it needs to be rearranged. And we got to get people that really want, if you don't have any tea or you don't really want to give your all like the Teresa Gudice did, and you're going to get so swole that you don't think you have to follow the rules like Nene did. Yeah, nobody's going to tolerate always being on the attack when you can't verbalize how to support you. Why are you feeling this way? And what is it going to take for you to basically just truly accept your bottle of water and do the work and and share with the audience their tea in your life. But if you don't feel you have to do that and you could kick people out of your room like she did Marcus in um in Tokyo, when you fit or you don't have to show up on time for everything. That her making Greg's illness all about them and also Eva's um that party all um that uh whole staff trip all about her was ridiculous. And I can't imagine being, having to film with someone that was like, oh, I'm going through all this stuff and he's being all mean to me and I can't understand why y'all don't get it and kiss up to me. And then when you kiss up to me, I yell at you and point my finger at you and get drunk and do some, yeah. I think as a matter of fact, there should be, all of them should blow before they actually film And if it's too much, they all have to prove that they're going into having anger management and some other type of therapy and work through some stuff. Because a lot of this being unhinged and a lot of that stuff doesn't make for good filming and it doesn't make for a it makes for a hostile work environment. I can only imagine. But if you're going to be off the heasy um, and attack my staff, yeah, we not going to be able to come up with anything until you do the work and you calm down and get medicated. I'm just saying. So in essence, I didn't really understand until recently why Nene was on Bethany's show. But as far as I've seen this happen before, and, and they, they've all said it, it's about alliances and who, how you can work the system to get what you want. And that's why she said a win is a win. She'll take the win, but she took an L for a very long time because a lot of what her being shut out of an industry that she actually helped build, also there is a portion of it that is, I'm sure, is on her and if I've learned any other thing from this show, she really does not take ownership of a whole bunch, especially if she will ten ten toes down and think she's in the right. So until she can circle back and come to that conclusion, maybe the industry will be a little bit more open to her. And maybe we would see another iteration of a gossip show starring NeNe Leakes. Maybe she could be on Dish with her own show. Uh, maybe she can start filming with Portia again because when they filmed together, that was pretty dope. 
I think it would be exciting. And I'm also going to be looking up after she walked off the set of the reunion for season 11 or 12. Did she ever go on What's What Happening Live and have a chat or sit down with Andy? And maybe her finally having that sit down, although those years later, she's been interviewing with everyone else. Why not interview with the production pe or the people you say you have the most issues with? And are either one of them ready for that? Maybe we need Dr. Jeff Gadar or Dr. Ken. Maybe, maybe we need both of them to basically moderate that discussion where she can have, and without Marlo, because I think Marlo needs to be relegated either back to a friend, but she does not need a peach. But I think her having, them having a one-on-one -on -one session with each other in a discussion, that would clear up so many things and answer to a lot of things. And it's great for the fans too. And also a continuation of the work. How can they heal? How can they come to a place where they can have a working relationship and her career can become productive? That would truly break the internet, just like the Carlos King interview did. And I would pay to see that for real. So Scotland Ennis is actually a real deal. I'm watching him. He has a, and he's a real chef. He worked in early Jamaica restaurants in New York City and started pursuing culinary arts in 2005 when he earned his culinary degree from the Cordon Bleu. He worked in the Marriott and Pete Cochon at the Intercontinental went on to become the head chef at South City Kitchen Midtown and then went on to Five Church. I think I went to the Five Church. That sounds familiar. Did I go to the one in Atlanta or Charlotte? Can't remember. But I had no idea that he also uh, was a reoccurring contestant on Hell's Kitchen. He's had uh, multiple appearances uh, with a variety of shows on the Food Network, it was my favorite um, channel at one point. But is he, is Scott Lee Ennis, still associated, I guess it helps if you spell it right, with Marlo Hampton. This is as of August uh, 7th of 2023. They still spend time together, but But she's not taking it seriously, and he's not taking it seriously. There's still the talk of the town, but there's nothing.
<laughs> oh, and it's still some bullshit about uh, Marlo Hampton, Ted Turner being her sugar daddy, and that was one of the reasons why Jane Fonda dropped him. Okay, whatever. I don't believe that for a second. Um, wait a minute. But then it says they're no longer in a relationship. That's uh, fresher live. This is um, Freshers Live. These are all um, on blogs. I think I started looking this up because I was thinking about not only them um, meeting at OLG, but also um, meeting at Five Church or one of his other places and maybe some intrigue. It wouldn't surprise me if... Or I could make one of my characters also have a business relationship for alcohol and food supplies to one of Chef Ennis's restaurants, because that would make sense. Again, this is how these women, being super fans, could get their bag and make an even broader connections for continued wealth establishment. How dope would that be? I'm not sure if. I would hire Scottly, but maybe that chef that started OLG, he could be the hired caterer to do the food uh, for. Now, why would I do that? Because I wanted, I envisioned somebody like Issa Rae being uh, one of the characters daughter, like daughters, but they could be co-hosting the event. I foresee it at the Okoe Winery, um, and it does seem like Bedroom Candy is like a multi, like one of those multi-level things uh, where you don't really, you potentially could make money on your own, but it's also the upstream that makes money, MLM or something like that. And they would have at least maybe five to seven uh, other consultants there who would feature this top seven goods, not only would they make money specifically for their pockets, but it, they would also be offering those things to every other person that actually comes. Bedroom Candy seems like it's not only a typical MLM, it's a possibility that everybody truly does make money upstream and downstream. So having um, access to the most uh, popular goods and making a grip. That's how this one person continues to make money and continues to have these destination uh, parties. Number one, she's going to have great food, great drinks, and the products, and it's going to be just fun. And basically, she's having many like many uh, um, uh, 
uh, was festivals, sex festivals, like basically every month. Not only does she make money at her winery for tasting and the food, et cetera, it basically pays for itself. And above that, it's so profitable to the point where Candy actually, or and her business partner have actually made appearances at these parties because they make so much money. I think it would be dope. And it would also feature not only the wine, but the menu of Scottly or that other guy that actually was a chef and also uh, increased the uh, profile of the girl's daughter. And this is where they would start their planning of not only uh, getting the other uh, woman's, the widow's estate back for her, but also her husband paid for them to go to BravoCon. Um, this is where they would actually, one of the instances where they would actually start um, would actually start um, the planning. But also is how this woman who was basically cut off from her accounts, et cetera, she would actually start making money because her friend not only would give basically give her a job, kind of like Jill gave Homegirl a job before she married her billionaire. I think this was Real Housewives of OC. When Jill gave the girl a job in the insurance game, um, until she basically married money. But this is a way for not, she, this woman ain't gonna marry money. She's just gonna get the money that's due to her by using bedroom candy. I think it's dope. And also having great food is right up the whole candy coated entertainment brand. From Nene to Nene to woe is me. I am like most fans that I, well, let me just talk about myself. So I am re-watching, what season am I on again? I'm re-watching season seven it, when Real Housewives of Atlanta was the bomb. It garnered anywhere between a million to two million uh, views a year. I believe I've seen an estimate that at its height, these women were making a million plus per episode uh, as the popularity of the show increased. What I've also noticed right around, was it, this is season seven, somewhere between season five to season seven, Nene had her heyday. She had her own clothing line that sold out on uh, shoppers, what is it, HSN. She was on Broadway. Um, she had two shows where she was a recurring extra. Uh, she worked for Ryan Murphy twice. Um, between uh, Glee as Coach Ross, or Roz, Roz, to the character that she played on The New Normal which got canceled after one season because, and this was way back in 2012. I didn't realize it came on, ran several episodes, uh, but 
the world and the million moms wasn't ready to see that type of open same-sex relationship. So it got canceled. I wonder what it would do in a limited means now if they would bring it back in today's world. I think it could exist on the streaming service. Like I watched that one season, or I'm still watching it one season of the new normal on Prime. Are there any exclusivity deals in the works where they could bring back that type of show now? And then I realized what, and I had to go back and do some research, what happened to Nene. I'm still not understanding why she went on Bethany's show. I don't know, it's called Be Being Real, some bullshit. Now, I completely got why she went on uh, Carlos King's show, but I just could not understand the Bethany Frankel interview. And these are some points I ended up writing down. Nene doesn't think she has the clout to for, and she said this herself. And she made and 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 she made reference to it during Carlos King. She came on Andy's show, uh, "What's Happening Live." Uh, many times, and that show put that basically put him and show on the map. She said it multiple times, almost broke the internet when she was interviewed by Carlos King. Went to Bethany's show and podcast, flew up to her estate in Connecticut at Bethany's expense and then got there and she said Bethany was really nice to her. She was talked about on after she did the interview on her own uh, YouTube channel that I'm like wondering why isn't it sponsored? And I would look, I would watch it. I didn't know about it, but then I started seeing other things and she made this comment about um, Bethany's podcast studio is in the guest house in the basement and she's tricked it out. And how you go through this gate and she has this sprawling estate. And I looked up online how Bethany is worth like 80 million. Most of that is from the $100 million sale of her skinny girl uh, vodka line, I believe, or margaritas. And how she actually retains the rights to be able to use the logo and the rest of her endeavors. Bethany Frankel has also written about eight whacked ass books that although they're self-published, actually I don't even think they're self-published. I think she cashed in on the cachet of her Real Housewife fame and basically parlayed that into a conventional book deal and she's made a grip from some whacked ass books. But Nene had made a comment on all of those things. And she's now like, please feel sorry for me because I, even though I'm the number one housewife, what happened to her? I thought, didn't she have her own Moscato line? What happened to that? I know she ended up having a lounge. What happened to that? 
I read her first book, which was dope. Why didn't she ever get a second book with the same ghostwriter that followed her around and wrapped up some of those loose ends? Did she ever establish a relationship with her real father because her the man that she thought for many years was her father, a DNA test showed that he wasn't? What happened to that? How did she put her life together after Greg Leeds died? How is she actually, if she ain't on Real Housewife, how is she dealing with her son having COVID-related side effects? Probably has long COVID. Why was he 23 and had a stroke and a heart attack? And how did she deal with that? Fans want to know. And... And do you think that you couldn't Jocelyn Hernandez your way to a deal with a company like Zeus or did like Portia did and Portia for real? Portia, at one point, she had a book. She had her own podcast. And you mean to tell me you didn't, you couldn't have done all of that? Shit. I actually published my own podcast for the last four years. And I know you could have gotten 300,000 downloads per episode if you had wanted to do it. So why are you blaming the industry for blackballing you when you did everything in your power to get kicked out? Let's go, let's dial back. I watched an interview with her, with Tamron Hall from October of 2020, exactly three years ago. Now that Nene is doing the rounds and she wants us to do this pity party, and I saw that jacked up review with Bethany, and she basically, and now on her YouTube channel, um, commenting on all the wealth that Bethany has and that estate, and, why, and it seems like she, to a certain extent, is play-hating her a little bit, just like Sheree did this past season with that hate, pamphlet with uh, Candy. Instead of her wasting time on creating that pamphlet, she should have been paying that designer and really did more like she buys Sheree because she don't pay. But I digress. Tamron Hall basically interviewed Nene and Nene was all choked up that she had been played by the network. Uh, Bravo at that time, and she was off the show. Um, and she couldn't understand why everybody had turned her back on her and she had been treated so poorly for all of those years. But Nene's, and then I'm watching, that's why I restarted watching season six and seven, because at her height of this show, she did and said some whacked up, whacked shit to people. This was so whacked up as she was referring to Andy Cohen. No one knew you until you knew me. True, but why are you going to say that to the dude that basically signs the checks? And when they called your bluff like they did three years ago, because I'm sure she went in there and said, I can't understand why y'all are giving me less and less episodes because they get paid per episode. And Tamron Hall basically said that. This was the height of George Floyd. You mean to tell me they would have risked all of these things 
discriminatory actions, the reckoning was truly happening, not this BS that Bethany Frankel is talking about, but it started be when Breonna Taylor and George Floyd passed away. Because this was the end of season 12 when Nene was at her most ridiculous. She came in there looking like Zoolander with her Botox and her makeup and basically dared the uh, network to get rid of her when her trippage started in 2013, when she basically said Candy was, had, she didn't want to go on Candy's Chitlin Circuit, uh, when she jacked up a producer and manhandled producers, uh, when she threw Marcus out of her hotel room in Japan. And, and also, even with her being read by Claudia, her doing everything she can to try to turn other castmates against Kenyon, and how even I think Cynthia Bailey is so beautiful, but she is one of the most vapid and stupid. <laughs> I don't want to call the lady stupid because I don't know her, but she is not business savvy like Candy Burris is. I could basically see Candy entering into business with Peter more and being able to understand it because I think that would have been uh, a more, and Todd, uh, uh, a better business situation than Peter basically um, being in business with Cynthia uh, because she doesn't handle uh, tribulation and stress very well. And she doesn't have the street smarts and savvy that Todd and Candy have. Again, I digress. But she basically said some whack things, went on rants, and that's what she did after and during that period of time from season 12 to season 13 uh, when she went on, they called it the Nene rants. Um, she basically turned into Nene and talked cash trash on her YouTube and Twitter and had all these wars and said all this bad crap. And they were like, watch this. Watch this. You're going to say all this stuff and you want us and you think it's going to be okay? You wouldn't. You refuse to film. You refuse to open up. You basically shut down and shut people out. And then you go for the jugular online and we're supposed to let you in on this same platform. Girl, are you crazy? Do you want people to really think that all you do is to let you work and give you water and we're supposed to accept abuse from you? Nah, that's not the way the corporate world works. And you said it yourself, the show is built on drama and no, it doesn't excuse behind the scenes poor treatment. But you on scene, on camera, said some whack shit. Online, said whack shit. And nobody is going to tolerate that. And then you start counting other people's money. You said it yourself. Candy was boring, couldn't understand why she, and you said this online too, why season after season, she got her spinoff. 
Why did Kim Zosiak get her spinoff? Why does Kim Zosiak in her plastic injected ass have a skincare line? And Nene, you're not aging. Why didn't you parlay your beauty line like Kenya did between hair and makeup? And you have your own Nene Leaks, uh, uh, fashion by Nene Leaks. What happened to that? Did Greg Leaks pull? Was he able to sit you down and pull it together and go after those things? Did you ever think to basically sit in those meetings and, and kind of get and take notes on what Candy was doing? Did you take notes why Candy Tags is 14 years in business and your business went out of business because of failure to pay rent? Why didn't you go online? Why didn't you have continue your online presence? Why, what happened to the relationship with Miss Lawrence and Derek J? Why didn't you parlay your wig, having your own wig line like Marlo did? I can't understand you had all, and why didn't you do like Portia? You said when talks for uh, podcasts and talk shows fell apart, why didn't you use your own platform and create your own talk show online? And then, because then if you get the views and you've proven you can get the views like Carlos' show did, and it would have been more successful than Portia for real. Why You had the same opportunities to publish these podcasts and do the same things that that white girl did because she controls her own narrative and image, et cetera. But now you're sitting back on the sideline like a fan and complaining that you never had the opportunity or nobody, the foresight for somebody to push you forward. Why not do it yourself? Candy Coated Entertainment is like right down the street from you in South Atlanta. And you mean to tell me that you couldn't actually have continued, did your podcast there, gotten and, and then worked out a production deal? and you would have gotten had the same rotation, been more popular, and created better content than that girl, Bethany, or um, what's her name? That squilly voice girl from OC, and nobody would talk to you? Girl, bye. It's hard for me to feel sorry for someone that in over ends passed up opportunities. And when I see you on the what I've actually only been showed and which you will let us in is seeing you dog out your castmates when you could have been in allegiance with them all of these years for the last decade and especially in the last three years. What it looks like is you weren't blackballed. You basically truly did talk yourself out of your own blessing. You let Nene talk yourself out of your own blessing instead of you proceeding and building... <laughs> And doing those things that you said that when the doors got closed, you could have basically published for free on Anchor and on Podbeam and on any other, any of these ones. Started at your dining room table just like I did. And anybody would have wanted to be on your show. And, and they would have talked to you. And it would have been just like, and that interview you had with Carlos King, we, it just could have been like, um, what's her name? 
um, Jocelyn's Cabaret. She owns all the right to her. Her kid actually is going to continue to make money in perpetuity because of that. But she did it on her own because she took notes when she was screwing Stevie J. She was also taking notes about how to control her own narrative and to finance. We would have saw Nene's or Nene's Cabaret. How do you make it and continue in perpetuity in an industry that obviously is out with you? You tried to do it Alliance way. You tried to do it their way, and they used their way to shut you out. But you talked yourself out of it. And I don't care if you are all that impressed with the little bit that this Bethany girl, because that she got it from you. She used the cachet, but she was able to flip it. Instead of you being so paranoid and wanting recordings on people talking trash about you, they, they could have been talking trash as you would truly continue to cash those checks. When the Hollywood checks and Ryan Murphy left you on red, this is what you do. You say, watch this, watch this, and had your own cabaret continue your own comedy tours, uh, rebuilding your life and telling the story of Greg, the afterlife of a caretaker once the cancer patient dies. That kind of thing. Those Using what you have to the best of your ability instead of worrying about what others are saying about you, let them talk as you are cashing the check and using your own line to showcase uh, designs by Nene and buying the rights and having that other, the guy that did She by Sheree, buying the rights to him and doing a collab with him and putting that, in, that stuff in your store, how you stock up a store and continue um, on and swag and swagalicious 2.3, 2.4, 2.5 and continuing to grow. But instead of sitting on a sideline on your couch and complaining about how you were shut out, frankly, we don't care. We want to see you. Now what are you going to do with the lemons? Are you going to make lemonade like Mama Joyce? Or are you going to continue to suck lemons? Because we're tired of hearing about the woe is Nene. We want to see what Nene Lanithia Leaks is going to do now. So what about now? Yes, they treated you poorly, they shut you out, but you also treated them poorly and talked cash trash and, no, and everybody got long memories. So now what are you gonna do with your legacy? If you say you don't want to be back on the show because the show is trash, so now what are you gonna do? Why don't you have your own production company? Why aren't you producing your own shows? And if you're shut out of Hollywood, there are other alternatives. There's other alternatives um, going directly to streaming. Um, who do you know that knows that person that bought the rights, that actually handled the rights to Jocelyn's show? Because you obviously still have the pull to have the audience to watch you, even on Zeus. I don't subscribe to it because that's not my kind of show. But if I could almost guarantee if you had show and you could create your own content, I think I would watch that. I just watched her show. She talking about being on her weight loss, being on taking shots like with Monjero. When I saw the uh, Marlo saying that she was on Ozempic and looking like a broke uh, <laughs> Miss Roper, 
<laughs> That's what Kenya called her. Kenya called her. But would I watch Nene and her weight loss? Because I know it's going to be funny. Yes. And I don't care about Marlo, but I watch Nene's journey. Wouldn't watch Marlo's journey because she ain't got it like that. But I would definitely watch hers. Also, her alliances, bringing Giselle's makeup line back. People's, the little doms with um, old pinch face Karen Huger. Girl, bye. I, again, I would pack good money if I saw that line launch. But I am not a LaDom, and I don't want to smell, and I don't want. Even though Kenya says she looked like a white woman in drag, that was actually really funny. And strategically placing her hair on her forehead, what Claudia said. But would people pay more attention to wigs by Nene? Because we've seen her wig game increase over the years. She had her own perfume line. She has her own clothing line. She could parlay in that to the house that Needy Leaks built, a fashion house and beauty. All of those things would make sense to me. But you basically going on this pity tour uh, and want somebody to give you something and really learning how to build, you got everybody, all these women at your disposal within the real housewives. Really put Nene on layaway, retiring her, and really talking one-on-one -on -one with Candy and seeing what she did. What about Cynthia and her fashion gig? And, and figuring out how you can do basically the same thing and legitimately. People would pay attention to that. But no, but nobody is going to be ripped down and... Uh, terrorize and gut it every time they have to have a conversation with you. That's what we're not going to do. She has all of these. These are all ideas I'm thinking of, and I'm not even this lady. But what I'm not parlaying to is um, I wouldn't count out someone like Nene because I think she's going to land on her feet. However, she there are so many opportunities still at her disposal. Her comeback story and us watching it is more compelling because she can build upon that, but she can truly do it on her own. A lot of tools she has at her disposal are free. And then Hollywood and a streaming service will come sniffing around when she builds up her own audience. You know what I mean? So with all of those things said, she can basically have a whole Nene Leaks production, get a whole team that and build and own her own narrative and build upon that. Um, and she still has the general cachet of being the number one housewife that has not even worked within. She still has that cachet. She literally is the number one housewife, still can build upon it, but what she can do next and leave the paranoia at home and, and haters are going to hate while they're talking. And don't worry about that. Don't spend any time in that. But spend your time get, truly getting your bag and going forward. And that's all you can do.
and that's it for this episode of Ten Fro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.